Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. As Jonathan said, we are moving into this new series. We are very excited about following Jesus' life together. And as we start out today, I want to start out with a little question. And this is for those of you who are in the room, I want you to turn to somebody next to you, tell them your answer. For those of you who are online, you can talk to whoever you're in the room with or to yourself or you know, put it in the, the comments online. But my question for you, somebody comes to you and they say to you, I got good news and I got bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? Just turn to somebody next to him and tell you, are you a good news first person or a bad news first? Even you can do thumbs up, thumbs down. Which one do you want first? All right, I want to see some hands. Who, who out here are good news first people? Who are the good news? Tell, tell me the good news. Make me happy first. Who are the bad news first people? Yes. You're my people, get it out there, get it over with, so then it can only get better from there, right? <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it just, you know, there's, there's a lot going on right now that it just kind of happens in the world and in life that way, right, that we, we have good news and bad news, they often go together, and they certainly have been in life these last couple years, you know, for us parents, right, is we've gotten this great news, your kids are going back to school, and then, you know, bad news, they're sent home the very next day, it seems. Like, it's just, it's always going together. You know, those of you who are, are you know, been sent home from your offices for these last couple of years, you've gotten the, the good news over the last couple of months, you can come back to the office, that's great news. Bad news, you gotta wear pants. You know, like, it's just, they, it's both, they go together. It's good news and and bad news, but I I gotta say, and I know you feel this too, over these last couple of years, it's just felt like, it's not good news, bad news, it's like we got bad news and we got worse news. Like it just keeps happening. It's not, there's not really that much good news in our news feeds and and, and on the TV and in, in the papers. It just seems like it's nothing but bad news after bad after bad, and it doesn't want to quit. And it's not just the the global pandemic that's been going on for two years now, as if that weren't enough. You know, we've all individually got our own personal struggles as well, our our dealings with loss and uncertainty and, and grief and isolation and depression. The list just goes on and on. So I I don't think it's that much of a stretch to say that we all could use some good news in a bad way. Am I right? We need some good news in a bad way. We need some good news that is, that is bigger than all of the bad news that we have to wade through every week. We need some good news in a bad way. Which is why I'm, I'm so excited that we are jumping into this study, this series today, why we're going to follow Jesus' life together through the Gospel of Mark. This couldn't come at a better time. Because the story of Mark, the story of Jesus, it's good news. In fact, it's great news. The story that we're going to learn together through this series, this is the best news that there ever is. And it just so happens that's exactly how Mark starts out. If you want to turn with me in your Bible or if you have a Bible app on your phone, 
I want you to look with me at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And and parenthetically, let me say, this is true all the time, but I I want this to especially be true in this series, in this season. If you got a Bible, bring it with you to church. Or if you have the Bible app, be looking at it. I will trust if you have your phone out that you are studying the Bible with me as you look at that phone. There will be no questions. But it just does something, at least for me, when I'm actually looking at the printed word, my own copy of it with me. Because when I use my Bible in church, I take notes, I highlight, I underline. That's allowed. If grandma's Bible, you know, the gold one on the table, you weren't allowed to touch it, you certainly weren't allowed to write in it. That's not true of your personal Bible. You can write in it, underline it, notate it. You can do that on apps too, on, on your phone. Just it makes it come alive a little bit more when you're looking at it. So let's be doing that together in this series. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a few over there. The the message version we will be preaching from a different version, but I know there's a lot of folks uh, that have told me, at least in my own small group, that the message is really helpful for them in their own personal reading. So uh, you get to steal something from church today. If you don't have a Bible, you get to steal a Bible, uh, our gift to you. But let's look at Mark chapter one, verse one. It says this, the beginning of the, I want you to say this with me, it's on the screens or in your Bibles, what do you see? Beginning of the, what is it? Show me, show me, there it is. The beginning of the good news, you see that? The beginning, his very first words Mark has to say to us, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark starts right out the gate, he wants us to know, this is good news. This is good news. Mark just gets right into it. He wants us to know the story he's about to tell us. It's good news. I'm going to give you a little background on Mark. This is very, very quick. If you want the the really detailed version, you can go to Dave's class on Sundays. You'll get all of it. But the basic, basic intro to Mark is that biblical scholars believe that, that Mark was actually the first written gospel account of Jesus' life, that, that Mark was the first one to write it down. And Matthew and Luke, they came shortly thereafter, and as they wrote their gospel accounts of Jesus' life, it's thought that they actually kind of took some pieces from Mark. You know, they were telling their own story, but they had Mark there as a resource to say, oh, yeah, yeah, that, and then they kind of wove that in to their versions of the story as well. Mark was likely written somewhere between 65 and 75 AD, which was about 30, 40 years after Jesus' resurrection. And it's thought that the author of this book was a guy named John Mark. We can read about John Mark in the book of Acts. He shows up a few times there as an apprentice to a a disciple of Peter, who was, of course, one of Jesus' 12 original disciples. It's thought that, that Mark got the story from Peter. Peter told them, here's what I saw, here's what we did, here's what I experienced, here's what happened with Jesus. And Mark wrote it all down, and Mark frames his gospel as a story. Mark wants us to know the good news of the story of Jesus, and in in telling us his version of the story, he's not trying to waste any time. Mark just cooks. He goes fast. As you read it, it's the shortest gospel, it's fast. It just goes from one thing to the next to the next. I got a little challenge to put out before you. This is a, uh, I'm going to trust you to not use Google uh, to do this, Uh, but I want to see who can come tell me somewhere in the process of this series how many times Mark uses the word immediately. I can't tell you off the top of my head how many, but I know it's a lot. When I was studying this earlier this year, I actually started where I noticed there was repetition. I started just circling. I keep seeing that word a lot or that word a lot, and I would circle it. The word immediately all over the place. That's on purpose. 
Mark's trying to tell this story fast. He's trying to get us somewhere quickly. I kind of think of Mark as kind of like how I use Google Maps, right? If I want to go somewhere, I plug in the destination on my phone, and it gives you a variety of options of routes you could take. You know, there's the 21-minute the route, and there's the 17-minute the route, and there's the, the no-tolls route, but it's going to take you three hours, right? You can choose which route you want to take. I've got to say, I'm the 17-minute route kind of gal. I try to see if I can make it in 16. Mark's, that, Mark's with me on that. He is the 17-minute route kind of guy. Mark wants to get us to our destination as quickly as he can. And that destination is the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Mark's invitation for all of us as we go on this journey with him, his invitation is for us to have new life in Christ. So just as Mark wastes no time in telling Jesus' story, we're not going to either. We're going to jump right in. So if you've got your Bible or your Bible app with you, we're going to see what good news Mark has for us today. We're going to look at Mark 1, verses 9 and 10. He said, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. So what's the good news that Mark wants us to know about Jesus as he starts out just the very beginning of Jesus' story? Two things right out the gate. And this is really, really good news. Good news that you need to hear, good news that I need to hear, good news I think our whole world needs to hear. And the good news that Mark wants us to know is that Jesus, as he comes on the scene, he lets us know that God is with us, and he lets us know that God loves us. God really, really loves us. So let's jump into both of those. Jesus came to reveal that God is with us. Little Bible study note is as you re read your Bibles, just another kind of helpful hint. As you read through, particularly the Gospels, again, we, we talked about how they're different, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each have their reasons for writing, their, the stories that they highlight, little emphases that they give that are different than the other. And, and you, you notice those as you read them through. Something to pay attention to is where they're the same. Where all four Gospel writers, though they're different uh, contexts, different audience, different agenda, where do they include the same detail? Crucifixion and resurrection, they're all in all four, right? All pretty important aspects of Jesus' story. I think we'd all agree. Another place that they're exactly the same is they all include this story of Jesus' baptism. They all include it. They all think it's really, really important. And they all testify. The first thing that Jesus did before he started his earthly ministry, before he fed anybody, healed anybody, did anything, the first thing Jesus did when he showed up on the scene is that he joined all these sorry sinners who were going to John the Baptist to be baptized. It's interesting to think about it. You know, it, it just, just kind of thought experiment. If you were Jesus, if you're God incarnate, how do you think you'd choose to make your grand debut, right? I'm a product of the 90s, and so I grew up uh, with Disney movies of the 90s. And so when I was thinking about this, I thought about the Disney movie Aladdin. 
And there's this scene where Aladdin becomes Prince Ali and he, he, he debuts himself to meet the princess in the temple. And he comes in on top of an elephant and he's got dancers and singers and a band and people like making it rain dollar bills all around, you know, like that's how he makes his entrance. And I'm thinking if I'm Jesus, if I'm God incarnate, that's how I'm showing up. I'm up here. Everybody else is down here. That's not how Jesus shows up. We meet Jesus, very first thing, surrounded by this throng of sinners. As they're listening to John the Baptist call to repentance, as they go down into the water for baptism, this, this symbolic act of being cleansed from their sin and forgiven. That's where we meet Jesus, his very first public act, walking right down into that water with them. So this begs the question, did Jesus need to be baptized? Like, did he need to repent from some evil? Did Jesus need to be forgiven and cleansed from sin? Well, no. Scripture tells us that, that while Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, he was without sin. Jesus had nothing to be forgiven of. But out of faithfulness to God and to demonstrate the lengths that God was willing to go to be with us, Jesus started out his ministry by being baptized. Jesus waded into that water, figuratively flowing with all the sin of all the people who had been baptized before him, all the people who would be baptized after him, people like you and me. This one who had come to take away the sin of the world was now waist deep in it. You know, we'll see in, in future weeks as we go through this series, one of the names given to Jesus was friend of sinners. And it wasn't meant as a compliment. Here in the river, we get a preview. In his baptism, Jesus made our shame his shame. Jesus made our burden his burden. His steps into the Jordan River are, in fact, the first steps that will lead him ultimately to a lonely cross outside Jerusalem where he will take on himself all the sin and all the shame of all humanity. You know, thinking about this, a story came to mind this week. I've told some of you before the story of Father Damien. Father Damien was a Belgian priest who went to work in, during the 19th century in a, a colony in Hawaii for lepers, for people with leprosy. And he would hold worship services for them there, and every time he started that worship service, he would tell them, he said, oh, God loves you lepers. But Father Damien, he, he stayed a little too long and just became so closely involved with the men and the women that he worked with there, sharing life so deeply with them that one week his message changed. And as he got up to lead worship, he looked out on that group and he said, oh, God loves us lepers. No longer you lepers, us lepers. Jesus came into this world not wagging a finger saying, you sinners, you losers. 
He said, we, sinners, from the very beginning, from his baptism all the way to the cross, Jesus reveals a God who is right beside us, a friend of sinners. The good news of Jesus is that God is with us. And the good news of Jesus is that God loves us. God really, really loves us. You know, Mark tells us about this incredible moment that happens as Jesus is baptized, as he comes out of the water. Something happens where, where the heavens are torn apart and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. There is just something so powerful about this moment that all of the love and all of the joy of heaven, it just couldn't be contained. It spilled over, it poured out, and that love and that joy, it kept pouring out as Jesus heard the voice of God saying to him, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Think of all the things that God could have said in that moment. You know, he could have said, hey, guys, listen up. This guy right here, he's my son, right? You should listen to him. God, God could have declared all the prophecies to be true. He could have said all kinds of things. He could have said, look, look, this guy, he is on a mission. Look out. But what does he say? He said, you're my son. You are loved. I delight in you. I am pleased with you. And you know, this, this moment, this moment here at Jesus' baptism, this is before Jesus had turned water into wine, before he fed the 5,000, before he healed the sick and the paralyzed. This moment is before the cross. It's before the empty tomb. In this moment that precedes all of that, what Jesus hears from God is, you're my child and you're loved. I'm so pleased with who you are. In other words, before Jesus had done anything for God, Jesus hears that he is loved by God. I want to say that again to make sure we take it in. Before Jesus had done anything for God, what he hears is that he is loved by God. And it was that love, that unconditional, unearned, unshakable love which God poured out over Jesus in that moment. It was that love which propelled him into those last three years of his life. It was those words that gave Jesus the power to heal, the wisdom to teach, the love to share his life to give. It was those words that Jesus held closely in his heart as he hung on that cross for you and for me. Those words that God spoke over Jesus that day are the words that I think we need to hear this day. You are loved. You are loved. You are deeply loved by the God of the universe. You are loved. Before you did anything for God, you were loved by God. Do you hear that? Do you believe that? 
Do you really truly believe that you are loved by the God of the universe and therefore who you are and what you do, that is propelled out of that, that you are truly deeply loved, the beloved son, the beloved daughter of the God of the universe. There is not a thing you can do to earn it. There is not a thing you can do to change it. You are loved. God doesn't wait for us to get our acts together. God doesn't hold back until we, you know, have read or understand all of the Bible or even just maybe even read it once a week. God doesn't wait for us. God doesn't walk away from us. Even when we walk away from him, God does not have a limit on his love. He just loves you. He has always loved you. He will always love you. God loves you. We have a hard time taking that in sometimes, don't we? We just don't see how God could love like that. We put limits on God's love. We think sometimes because of things we've said or done or maybe things that have been said to us or, or done to us that, that God maybe, you know, really makes more sense that God's, God's just mad at me. Or maybe God's disappointed in me. Or God's bothered by me. Or, or maybe worse yet, God's just disinterested in me. Nothing could be further from the truth. I love how Father Richard Rohr puts it. He writes, Jesus did not come to change the mind of God about humanity. Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. You know, sometimes we think Jesus came, like God was really, really mad at us, but Jesus came and he was like, oh God, you know, like they're, they're actually kind of cool. You should get to know him a little bit. You know, like, no. God's heart for us has always been a heart of love, and we don't always believe it. So Jesus came to change the mind of humanity about God. There is no more important thing for you to hear today than this. Whatever you have been taught about God or thought about God before this moment, Jesus came to change your mind. So if you think, even just one little bit, if you think God is mad at you, he's not. If you think God is disappointed in you, he isn't. If you think God is bothered by you or disinterested in you, nothing could be further from the truth. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. There is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. There is nothing you can do to make God love you any less. God loves you. This is good news. This is great news. This is the best news there ever could be. God is with us, and God really, truly loves us. So all that's left for us to do as we start this journey together, following Jesus' life together, as day by day, week by week, all the way up to that celebration of Easter, all that's left for us to do with this good news of Jesus Christ is receive it, is believe it. To receive the gift that in Jesus, God is with us in all of our mess, all of our muck, all of our sin and shame through every struggle, God is with us. And to receive these words along with Jesus that God loves us no matter what.
we are loved.